The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. In this episode, Wade and Alex go with the flow and discuss the key assumptions on integrating a more dynamic withdrawal strategy to your retirement plan. Hey, everybody. I'm Alex, and I'm here with Wade. And welcome to Retire With Style. Wade, what are we talking about today, man? That's right. Today, we are talking about additional reasons why the 4% rule might be too low. And in particular, we're getting to the topic of variable spending, uh, where you don't just stick to having the same inflation-adjusted spending amount throughout retirement and how that can have a big impact. And in particular, this is going to be a two-parter. We'll talk more about how to think about evaluating different variable spending strategies in this episode. In the next episode, we'll actually talk about different variable spending strategies. So quite an agenda. Quite an agenda. But before we get to that agenda, let's add some variety, right? (laughs) What do we, any, any, any chit chat, chit chat talk today or are we, (laughs) are we spent? Are we spent? We are out of chit chat. (laughs) (laughs) That is a, that is a nice shirt. Is that light starch or did you just put it on right out of the dryer? Uh, it looks like it has been <laughs> ironed at one point. I, I haven't been wearing these shirts too often, but I do have a local speaking engagement tonight. So that's why I'm dr- oh, really? a little bit more dressed up than usual. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Has that been kicking up since post-COVID? Oh, it has. Yeah, uh, especially October next month, or actually by the time this airs, may already be right around October 1st. Uh, it's going to be my first travel month that really looks like a pre-pandemic style travel month. Uh, not the busiest month I've ever had, but certainly it, it wouldn't look out of place pre-pandemic for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember it was it was, was kind of tough just to like lock you in on meetings. And don't, right. don't forget the caller stays, man. Don't forget the caller stays. <laughs> they make all the difference. <laughs> yeah, they do. The, these shirts, I think, have the shorter ones. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes they're shorter. Uh, I don't have them in right now, but I'll be wearing a tie because otherwise it I think those are the weird. best conference Shotskis I've ever gotten. I think Orion. Orion uh, years ago gave us uh, these caller stays and. I, I I treat them like like uh, Bitcoin codes. Like I, I, I take them everywhere, just in case. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Is, is that good? Did that suffice? They always get through the airline <laughs> security. I always worry about those. Oh, the metal ones? Metal no, 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 these, and they're weird no, these shape, are metal. I've never had any issue with them. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is a, a plastic resin. No, I don't know what the hell they are. <laughs> yeah, one time uh, my son had a... Well, kind of like Hot Wheels, but it was a bullet train, a little bit bigger yeah, than yeah, a Hot yeah. Wheels, but metal. And in the x-ray at the airport, it kind of shows up looking pretty dangerous. So they had to search his, <laughs> my four-year-old son's bag to, to find out he had a bullet train Hot Wheels type car well, in there. And that... <laughs> I'm sure when you go through the security, the word, the name foul just lights up all sorts of alarms. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. 
Although, although uh, in the interest of everyone, Wade led me on to getting the TSA pre-approval. Oh, you my finally goodness. did that. Yes. My yes, goodness. You, you haven't lived. You haven't lived until, <laughs> until you do that. Yeah, Alex travels quite a bit, and it takes 30 minutes one day to get TSA pre-check. And instead of doing that, he spends hours in the normal security line. I, I never understood that, but uh, finally you've entered the 21st century. Wait, you're, you're just cutting me up in front of everyone. <laughs> you're just cutting me up. Goodness gracious. <laughs> no, no, I can't no, no, that you're TSA right. pre-check. You know, of all the things you've said, that's the best advice I've gotten from you. <laughs> That's the one that's resonated the most with me, the TSA pre-check. Yeah, so if anything, when we're together in airports, I, <laughs> I yeah, go right feels, through TSA pre-check and then I have to wait 20 minutes for you to go through the regular Wade's, security Wade's line. such an elitist. He walks by, you know, looking at me with a with this disdain look. <laughs> wow, don't have to take stuff out of my bag. Don't have yes, to take my shoes yes. off. It's, it's great. <laughs> okay. All okay. right, variable spending <laughs> strategies. Yeah, and, and just the, wait, wait, so wait. as a quick reminder on that. So we're talking about reasons why the 4% rule is, it may be too low. We've talked about how real world retirees spending may not grow with inflation throughout retirement, how retirees might use broader portfolio diversification, how they may have a buffer asset outside the portfolio that they can coordinate with, how 30 years might be too long of a time horizon, and then now the two issues that we have left, but they're real, really quite closely related, so it's hard to say one without the other, but it's the variable spending. Retirees may be flexible to adjust spending in retirement. And also retirees have other reliable income from outside their investment portfolio, such that even if they deplete their investment portfolio, it, it's less harmful. It's not catastrophic. And therefore, by having that capacity to bear market risk, they might decide to behave more aggressively, spend more aggressively, uh, invest more aggressively with the understanding, uh, because it's tied into this idea of variable spending, maybe you can make some cuts to that portfolio distribution and, and not destroy your retirement. So that's where that's, we are today is the, the variable spending and the, the fact that the, how that relates to having resources outside the portfolio as well. Now, the, 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 the point of departure, I, I just want to make sure that everyone you know, is on board here is we've been talking about sustainable withdrawal rates, but we've been talking about them in terms of right, the constant spending strategy so far. The 4% rule or, or, or those, those spending strategies, there's known as constant spending strategies, even though the dollar amount may change from year to year because it's, uh, you know, the, the 4% rule, take it, it, it takes that nominal amount and then it adjusts for inflation so it'll be different year after year, they're still referred to as a constant spending strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And constant real spending. The, yeah, there, your, there you go. So, your inflation-adjusted spending is constant. So. Yeah, but nominally. <laughs> nominal. You're, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But nominal <laughs> changes. This now, we're, we're entering the world of variable spending strategy, which is a, another way of looking at it. And so, wait, sorry, you were going to say something? Well, well, yeah, and maybe some more clarity there as well. Earlier, we talked about things like David Blanchett's spending smile and so forth. That is a variable spending strategy, but that would be a pre-planned variable spending strategy where you know in advance it's not based on how your portfolio is performing, but based on just your spending needs that you won't have constant inflation-adjusted spending. Now we're adding in this element of you don't necessarily know exactly how much you're going to spend in the future because you will make adjustments based on how your portfolio is performing. So it's variable spending in the sense that you're actually responding 
to your portfolio's performance and adjusting your spending. When your portfolio does well, you might spend more. When your portfolio is not doing as well, you may make some cuts. That's what we mean by variable spending. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to make sure we, we lay the groundwork for that. And there's a, f- a few extra components to this that re- that require analysis simply because there are many different types of spending, variable spending strategies, which we'll, we'll, we'll run into. I mean, in this episode, what we're trying to do is wait very much just to lay the groundwork for how to make apples to apples comparisons among all of these spending strategies. Would you say that's a correct assessment? Yeah, yeah. In this episode, we'll just we need to provide some context about how you can even compare because if you compare two different variable spending strategies, they may have very different spending experiences. And how do you decide among them, or how do you decide between them? So we need to lay some some groundwork for how to think about evaluating different variable spending strategies. Okay, what's some criteria around that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, to to start with. There's a few different things you can be thinking about. So how much does the strategy respond to the market performance? Like the the 4% rule would be there's no response. It doesn't (laughs) matter if markets are doing great, markets are doing poorly, you're going to keep spending the same amount. But the first kind of thing to consider is like how much deviation will there be? Markets doing well versus markets doing poorly. How much do you want the spread between how much spending might adjust between those different types of scenarios? You might also look at, are you more interested in a strategy that starts with a higher spending level? And because of that may have uh, more likelihood to decline over time, at least in inflation adjusted terms. And that might be something that appeals more to a front loading preference. Or are you someone who is more comfortable starting at a lower base, but then being more likely to increase that spending over time. And that might be more of a, a backloading preference. And so but, I'm glad you said that, Wade, because uh, I, I had it on my kind of things I wanted to introduce is if, if you're listening to the words where we're, we're actually using to describe variable spending strategies, it, I, you know, it, you, you think about probability based, right? And that's obvious because we're in the market and it's probability based, but really optionality comes to the forefront now when you're talking about this flexibility of spending strategies. And you mentioned front-loading as well, these secondary RISA factors. But one of the primary RISA factors is commitment orientation and optionality. This really drives home the point of optionality because you, you are and, – and distribution focus. This distribution focus – I mean this accumulation focus versus distribution focus. And optionality is you're willing to have that variable paycheck. You know, there's a big picture that you're playing. That's that's the that's the plan that you have. This bigger picture, right? And you're willing to 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 concentrate on that bigger picture in exchange for this variability of income. You're you're fine with that variability of income, and that optionality. You you need that 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 construct to be able to implement that. Right, and that's where like so we've talked a lot about the four percent rule concept and how it's really not a usable strategy, like something academics would say about the the 4% rule is if you want a volatile investment portfolio, which the 4% rule assumes you need your spending to also be volatile or to, to fluctuate, to be variable. If you don't want variable spending, you really don't have any business using a volatile investment portfolio. And so in the broader context of the total return strategy, because it's probability-based, because it's using the market, and because you want that optionality, it, it really does suggest 
you, there should be some open-mindedness to the idea of using a variable spending strategy. And <laughs> if you don't have follow up with that, let me. No, I'm sorry. Wait, <laughs> I'm trying to work on my. I'm trying to work on my. Yeah, it looks like you're like... balancing your checkbook over there or something. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to. I don't know. Trying, trying to work on my give you're... and take, my listening skills. I was reading <laughs> okay. a book and it said, "Hey, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason." So I'm kind of <laughs> implementing it. <laughs> Very well. Well, the other kind of issue, too, to be thinking about just in terms of like broader issues of how do you want to evaluate different spending strategies is how much volatility do you want to allow within the spending strategy? Now, generally, a strategy that might have bigger fluctuations in spending might allow you to have a higher average level of spending because it's taking on more risk. But at the risk, spending may go up, but it also may go down by more. And is that something you're comfortable with versus a strategy that may not fluctuate as much with the spending, but nonetheless uh, would have a lower average level of spending over that retirement horizon? And that that's the, the three kind of broad issues to be thinking about. And then what we get into is the issue of how do you compare different variable spending strategies? Now, the 4% rule safe max type concept or anything with constant inflation adjusted spending, we hear so much about like a probability of success, which is measuring how frequently the portfolio does not deplete in that retirement. Now, some episodes back, we had David Blanchett on the show, and I don't remember our exact conversation, but I know one of the big points he often emphasizes is he hates the probability of success. So I'm hoping he talked about that in our episode. <laughs> Probably he did. Uh, and uh, an issue but with that's... that is just that for some of these variable spending strategies, you can't even use a probability of success because if the if it's a very variable strategy, it's going to keep cutting spending before the portfolio hits zero so that the portfolio never technically hits Can... zero. Can I interrupt here? Wait, uh, just uh, take it uh, take it a little bit because we introduced the concept on why he didn't like wasn't a big fan of the probability of success, and we, we said it in previous episodes. But let's just assume we may have a new listener or someone forgot as well. Uh, ultimately, when we're talking about probability of success, you know, within a stochastic Mon within a Monte Carlo simulation kind of method, what you're what you're doing is you're running you you have a expected return and you have variability around that expected return. So it can create many different types of runs, many different simulations. And so let's say you put in your, your a portfolio expected return with a volatility component and how much money is going to go in and out, you know, over during their lifetime. And so you do a hundred, a thousand of these. Now let's just make it a hundred. You do a hundred of these, right? Out of the hundred runs, you know, it, and let's say, and one more point, let's say the end number that you want, the portfolio value at the end, you never want it to be below zero. Because you don't want your ending value to ever be below zero. You can put whatever number you want, but let's say below zero. Right? And let's say you do this a hundred times. You you run a hundred simulations, and ninety of them end above zero, and uh ten of them end below zero, or zero and below. Right? Mm -hmm. And that would be a ninety percent success rate in terms of ninety percent of them were good, ten percent of them were bad. But think about this and, and from a binary standpoint. It's either yes or no. They either succeeded or not, right? There's no magnitude of failure. The 10 that didn't succeed, maybe they failed by a dollar. Maybe they failed by a dollar, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and maybe the 
the 50 of them that succeeded succeeded by $3. There's really no difference between those runs. And but right. because it had this magical number of zero, then above and below. And but I don't think it's a you know, I, I don't think anyone's psychologically any more comfortable winning, you know, ending with three dollars in the bank than with negative one dollar in the bank. It's really the same outcome. And mm-hmm. so from that vantage point, that's a problem. You know, I, well, I, I agree with David there that, that, that you, you know, there's always these sayings, look, you'd rather be approximately right than definitely incorrect. You know, I, I get that comment and it's a good barometer to, barometer to see where you're going. But from the point of view of Monte Carlo and success rates, you really have to take that into consideration because that's a huge, huge caveat. You know, what's the magnitude of the failure for the ones that failed? And, and you know, that that's where it's, it's an issue as opposed to it being more of a progressive thing. Like you're 80% of the way there. You're 90% of the way there. That's not what Monte Carlo is answering. Other things answer that, like a funded ratio and things like that. Wait, sorry. I just wanted to do the little, uh, you know, you know what, what's it called when a book, there's a little page that's like great that you can reference. It's a call-out like, box or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no, a little that, call-out box to... for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's the kind of the, the point is if you fail, it's you might have failed by a dollar. You might have failed by $100,000. The, the probability of success just it throws away a lot of information by only defining each outcome as yes or no, fail or not fail, uh, which actually <laughs> I was using a bit of a bad analogy because, yeah, that's a definite problem with the probability of success measure. But I was in the context of variable spending. Another problem is just simply that you can't use the probability of success because a true variable spending strategy would never let the portfolio hit zero in the first place. Instead, it's because it's lowering your spending rather than letting keeping your spending and, up but letting the portfolio drop to zero. And let me give so a, we can't a little, use it. Let me give it a little call-out box for that one too just because I, I think, again, if people are, haven't been listening in, it, it's, it's good. So if you're using a constant withdrawal spending strategy, this is where, okay, you have a nominal amount and you adjust for inflation, but that, that amount remains the same, right? Mm-hmm. So let's assume there's never inflation. Inflation is zero every year, right? And you take out $10, $10 the first year and there's no return on the investment. Eventually, you will run out of money. If, you know, as you, you take out $10, $10, let's say $100,000, whatever. Eventually, you hit zero and you go out. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a variable spending strategy, which is a percent of the portfolio, Technically speaking, let's say you take 4% of the portfolio the first year, 4% of the portfolio the next year, 4% the third year, 4% the fourth year. You're not going to run out of money technically, even if you're taking out three cents. Right, right. Or even if you're (laughs) cutting up that last penny, but just technically from the perspective of software, (laughs) it never hits zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, never, it never, you, you, you can't have failure in that context which is why we have to look at something different. And that's where some years back, I created this idea of a pay rule, which isn't used as the the metric to evaluate the strategy. It's all these other factors we were talking about before, like the direction of spending, the volatility of spending. That's really uh, like how much spending varies between different portions of the distribution. That's really how you evaluate the strategies. But to compare them on an equal footing, to to have the same amount of downside risk, I go to the payroll. 
And in a way, the probability of success is a kind of pay rule, but it's more limited. It's like the, <laughs> a very specific example versus a broader general theory. So that the pay rule is pay stands for probability that your wealth drops before below a certain A amount by year Y of retirement. So an accepted probability that wealth falls below A by year Y of retirement. And when you decide on a payroll to use, you can start to compare. You, that calibrates the downside risk of each strategy. And then you can evaluate the strategies on these other metrics that we've mentioned. So wait, what you're able to do here is take all of these variable spending strategies and give it uniformity for analysis. You know, so mm-hmm. you, you mean, you know, and, and this is important. I mean, there's many folks that read. You know, you pick up a, a journal, you pick up a magazine, you pick up even the Wall Street Journal will, will start having these kind of articles. Hey, this person has this super duper variable spending strategy, they, you know, et, et cetera. And, and there's 10 of them and they all look good and you want to sort of make sense of them all. The payroll gives it that that sort of, uh, I don't know, there's something in software that it sort of uniforms it all out for you. I think the most amazing advancement with the payroll weight is that you are actually able to pick out an acronym that spells out pay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really cool. Initially, I was calling it the XYZ rule, but then later figured out pay is much better. (laughs) (laughs) So again, pay, the P is the probability that you accept. The A is the amount of wealth. And the Y is the certain number of years. And Mm Doe is a female deer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but but like I was also saying, so Bill Bengen's SafeMax idea is an example of a payroll. It's just an example of a payroll that isn't broader for evaluating variable spending. But the 4% rule idea, to just recall that idea, it was based on the historical simulations, rolling historical data, those 67 numbers that Alex thought weren't enough, but based on those 67 All rolling right, wait, historical periods. You want me to periods, go into why they're not enough? You can't just, <laughs> no, you no, can't no, just no. do a drive-by. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, so Listen to the episode. But uh, you no, accept no, no, a 0% no. probability that your wealth drops below $0 by the 30th year of retirement. And so that's the implicit pay rule of Bill Bingham's SafeMax. It's just to have a variable spending strategy that A can't be zero. And, and that's the, <laughs> the main issue. So you can accept, say, a 10% probability that my wealth drops below, say, $100,000 by year 30 of retirement. That's a payroll that calibrates the downside risk on different variable spending strategies that gives you a way to evaluate them. And, and like I think kind of what you're alluding to, so like, One of the most famous examples of a variable spending strategy that we'll talk about more in the next episode is Jonathan Guyton's and now the Guyton and Klinger decision rules. Uh, But when he first came out with that, he was talking about how you could increase the safe withdrawal rate. Well, there's an important caveat on that. Yes, the initial withdrawal rate is higher, but that's because it builds in this capacity to cut spending throughout retirement. And that's where, well, how do you evaluate the downside risk of that? Uh, sure, I can start with a higher initial withdrawal rate if I have to cut my spending by 90% later on, for example. But that's not necessarily going to be a better strategy. But how can you even start to compare the strategies? First, you have to accept a level of downside risk that you're uh, going to apply to all the different strategies then you can start to compare the distributions of how the strategies perform in different market environments, how much spending might fall in different market environments, how much and, it might go up. 
what what it does on average and so forth. But when you say level of downside risk, I, again, I just when you say level of downside risk, you mean like what is the nominal value of the portfolio that you don't want it to go below? Mm-hmm. Nominal right. or real. You could define real, that okay. amount as a real amount have... or a nominal amount. Okay, mm-hmm. but I, I just want to make sure it's not like I don't want the I don't want my portfolio to go ever go down thirty percent a year. That's that's not the downside risk we're measuring. It's the downside risk no. of the amount of no, money not, in your portfolio. It's, right. It's not the returns on the portfolio. It's I don't want the amount of remaining wealth to drop below a certain threshold. More okay. than P percent of the time. <laughs> Yeah. By a given number of years. <laughs> uh, yes, by a wide number of years into that retirement. No, that's pretty clever, Wade. I mean, uh, I mean, in the true sense of the word, it, it, you're able then to really give everything uh, an even an even standing. But you're, yeah, you're also able to do it in a way that's relevant for that individual person. What I mean by that is you may be, look, I never wanted to go down $250,000. I may be, I never wanted to go down $150,000. Everyone has their own sort of level. Mm-hmm. And, and that relates to the safety of margin too, that we've talked about. The reason why the 4% rule might be too high is you might not want your portfolio to drop to zero. So the pay rule in a way is incorporating a safety margin, but then all these factors interact as well. Like the, the longer the retirement horizon, so the bigger the Y number, maybe the smaller you're willing to accept for the A number because... I might not want my wealth to drop below $500,000 by year 20 of retirement, but I might be willing to let it drop below $200,000 by year 40 of retirement. So either of those could be pay rules, but then you just really need to decide on which one you want to use for the analysis so that you have that equal footing again to start comparing different variable spending strategies. Okay. The other big thing to talk about in this episode is, well, how do you actually choose a payroll or, you know, what makes sense? Should that, should you accept a 10% probability or a 20% probability that wealth drops below $500,000 or $200,000 by year 25 or by year 35? Kind of what goes into that? And so the, a conservative payroll would be some combination of accepting a lower probability that the a the wealth drops below a higher amount by a shorter period a smaller y number of years can, in retirement can you can you take us through an example way just cuz this i can imagine people listening in it's it's just a little tougher to conceptualize you know mm-hmm. when we're talking about numbers like this and incidentally the, the you may be listening a, a normal question could be how do i okay payroll calculator let me google it you know, that kind of, there's, there's no payroll calculator out there. This is something that we've done internally. We do offer it, you know, as part of our retirement research to our retirement, to our retirement researcher, uh, online community that, that, that is a paid service though. Uh, so this is not something that's available just out there. What I would take away from this podcast is, you know, what are the levers that, that this helps me think about? You know, in, in terms of uh, creating this, if this is something that's of interest to you, then I, I encourage you to go to retirementresearcher.com and, and check out the membership stuff. And I know Bob does outros in which he he discusses it. And, and there's a there's always a link on the show notes. But this is something that's internal to ourselves. But this is how we sort of analyze it. Uh, but there is value in discussing it simply because 
this is this is a way to make everything an apples to apples comparison. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do have the payroll calculator uh, at, for the academy members, and there's m- most of the commercial financial planning software doesn't deal with the variable spending. So this is, I don't know if it's 100% unique. I, I think there may be other software out there that can also look at this sort of dynamic spending, but it's still pretty rare, at least. And so, indeed, this if you're not an academy member, it's more how to think about variable spending and, and how as you pull these different levers, what it can do. And that's where when we talk about some different variable spending strategies in the next episode, behind the scenes, I'm evaluating them with this payroll calculator from the uh, the academy. But I'll, I'll talk about kind of the, the findings or the implications of that. But back to this issue of choosing a payroll uh, it's a lot that goes into it. It's so we're trying to think about, you know, how much downside risk am I willing to accept for my retirement? And so some factors that go into that. And so we'll just kind of define this as what goes into using a more conservative payroll. So <laughs> allowing for a smaller chance of depleting assets or of letting my assets fall below a certain threshold. Well, it's how much reliable income do you have? And, and so that's where this series of podcasts is about total return as a strategy. But actually, now that we're talking about variable spending, this is where all the different retirement styles, the total returns, the time segmentation, the income protection, and the risk wrap, they all have a discretionary spending piece that uses distributions from an investment portfolio. So that's where, like, if you're using income protection or if your style is income protection, you have reliable income to cover your core spending need outside of your portfolio. And even if your total return, you at least will have Social Security uh, as, a, as a reliable income source. And that is important. That impacts how much risk you're potentially taking to uh, having a bad retirement experience if markets don't do well. So if you don't have as much reliable income from outside the investment portfolio, you don't have that cushion to help protect you from market volatility because you don't have these stable income sources that are not impacted by market volatility. And because of that, you probably want to use a more conservative payroll. You want to take less risk with potentially depleting or, re- or like having a, a smaller safety margin of what's left for your investment assets. And what, what would be a conservative number here? Because I, I, I can imagine that many folks listening in have trouble even knowing, okay, is, is a 10% probability that my wealth falls below 150000 too conservative, too aggressive, too moderate? What, what, what are some zip codes here that, that people can start uh-huh. working with? Well, first, yeah, that 150000 you mentioned, maybe in the context of a million dollars starting point for retirement. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the 4% rule, again, it, it's not, if you switch over to Monte Carlo, it's really kind of saying you're accepting a five to 10% chance based on historical data, not based on kind of uh, 
the fact that interest rates are lower and so forth, but a five to 10% chance that your wealth drops to zero by year 30 of retirement. Now we can relax that a little bit, maybe say, you know, kind of a moderate type pay rule, except a 10% chance that your wealth drops. So if you started with a million, say drops below 150,000 inflation adjusted by year 30 of retirement. And if you wanted to make that more conservative, maybe you accept a 5% chance that your million dollars drops below $200,000 by year 30 of retirement. If you're wanting to be more aggressive, you might accept a 20% chance that your wealth drops below $100,000 by year 30 of retirement. And I used year 30 for all three examples, but you could vary that. So if you're more aggressive, maybe you switch year 30 to year 25. If you're more conservative, maybe you switch year 30 to year 35. So that that's hopefully giving a sense of kind of broad parameters there. Now, asset allocation fits into that as well, where the 4% rule tells you to use 50 to 75% stocks in retirement. So some sort of asset allocation in that range, a more conservative uh, investor might not go that aggressive with their asset allocation. And maybe a more aggressive investor would go to the higher or slightly higher end of that asset allocation range as well. And wait, for folks that are listening, how is this not the same as someone, as opposed to saying, I'm going to use the, the, the constant example, a 10% probability that wealth falls below 100,000 over a 30-year time horizon. How is that not just, this is kind of framed in the negative. What about if we framed it, you know, 100 minus 10 is 90, a 90% probability that wealth is above $150,000, right? You know, yeah, yeah, they're the same thing, but right, the the framing matters. That's back to that behavior. I, I just want people are listening, <laughs> so I want people to think, hey, isn't that because because I'm assuming people get Monte Carlo scores from their advisors and say ninety percent chance of success. This is not the same, mm-hmm. and I want you to mm-hmm. kind of explain. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about a ten percent chance of failure. That that would be a ninety percent. So a ten percent chance that your wealth drops below a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> is equivalent to a 90% chance that your wealth stays above $100,000. And that framing of the good outcome uh, might make a difference about how people internalize the concept. But yeah, just mathematically, they're equivalent. And so you can work with either approach. So thank you for that insight, Alex. <laughs> you're, I'm, I'm, at your service, Wade, at your service. <laughs> so another factor that kind of guides the decision around a pay rule is just how much flexibility do you have with your spending? Can you make cuts to your portfolio distribution without disrupting your lifestyle uh, to the extent that your spending is more kind of uh, essential, fixed, maybe growing with inflation, you may not have flexibility to use a variable spending strategy. And if you don't have that flexibility, you kind of you need a more conservative pay rule to help protect you from having to make cuts to spending. So the flexibility around spending is very important. The more flexible you are, the more aggressive you can be with how you think about a pay rule. And one of the keys here that you said it in the last one in terms of fewer reliable income sources. Wade made a point to say we, we make a distinction between discretionary and essential expenses, right? And what Wade was saying previously in terms of taking an account of your reliable income sources was, listen, 
these other quadrants in the RISA matrix are assuming for core essential expenses, you have reliable income. So everyone is going, you know, it, you, most likely you're going to institute some sort of variable spending strategy at the very least for discretionary. Now, this point is specific to total returns in the sense that within a total return construct, other than Social Security, you're you're, you're looking at a spending strategy to fund both your essential and discretionary. And if you don't have that flexibility, as in like you may have a lot of essential expenses you need to fund, you know, from your from your entire portfolio because Social Security may not cut it for you, then that's going to affect here how much flexibility you have in the sense of, i.e., how much can you go down over time? Right, Wade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really that you, the kinds of issues you want to be thinking about. Yeah, so the, the next one is maybe not entirely different from what we were just talking about with reliable income, but a, a sense of your reserves in, in the context of the funded ratio, how we think about assets as reliable income, diversified portfolio, and reserves. Well, if you don't have much in the way of reserves, uh, you will likely lean towards having a more conservative pay rule as well. So if you don't have a buffer asset, if you don't have insurance to protect you from different spending shocks, if you don't have like excess wealth, uh, you're overfunded for your retirement and so forth, then it's harder to take risk. And so you're going to lean towards calibrating your your spending discussion to a more conservative type of payroll. Yeah. And, and so what you're seeing here, so Wade has pointed out lower flexibility, fewer reserves, fewer reliable income sources. In the previous podcast, we kind of went through an item list of why the 4% rule may be too high, which, you know, effectively are these kind of issues. And so if you are vulnerable to these kind of issues, then you need to take a more conservative approach when it comes to analyzing your variable return strategies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, another one that we can just mention briefly, because it is the A number in the payroll, but if you have a stronger desire to have a margin of safety built into the plan, that would translate into a, using a higher A number. And you, you don't want your wealth to drop below, a, you want a lower probability that your wealth drops below a threshold, or you want, I mean, you want to keep your wealth above a certain threshold. And so a desire to have a bigger margin of safety would translate into a more conservative payroll. And uh, the last one I would say, uh, or, or one of the key ones, because it's probably the why in the payroll, is uh, fear of outliving your assets. How, you know, if, if you do think you're going to live a very, very long time, or the, the flip side is your assets are, you know, the way the dynamics work, the assets are low, you may outlive them. You, you want to pick a, a fairly conservative, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a fairly conservative. I don't know, a time horizon. Yeah, yeah that, that backloading preference. That yeah. If you're more worried about outliving your money, uh, that would translate into a more conservative payroll. Or again, broadening this discussion beyond just total returns, what we see with the RISA is a more concern about outliving your money. More of that backloading preference tends to correlate with income protection or risk wrap. And all these factors interact because if you're then using one of those styles so that you have your basics covered, well, now you have the 
the offsetting factor, you have more risk capacity at this point. So you might go with a more aggressive pay rule. But just generally speaking, leaving aside, <laughs> assuming your total returns, uh, if you're a total return uh, style, but you have worry about outliving your assets, that would translate into a more conservative payroll. Which, if it's not obvious, and which we'll get to in our variable spending strategy, would then translate into a lower spending tar- level for that retirement plan. There it is, Wade. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that gets us through the background of how about how to compare different strategies. The next step will be to actually discuss some of the main variable spending strategies out there. And that's what the next episode will be about. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. Yeah, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 